Hey there, you've made it to episode 18 of the Stick to Syracuse podcast. My name is Brent Axe. So great to have you here. Got a great show lined up today. He deals with all the movers and shakers in central New York. Chris Baker, government reporter for Syracuse.com, joins me today to talk about how he does his job, the most interesting people he discusses, and that one concert review that still haunts him from his days covering music. You'll also hear today Kathleen Mason from K-Mace Productions chat with Ashley Cox and Sean Sullivan, Professional Victims, as the alternative duo that they form. Just want to remind you that you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and SoundCloud. If you found us on Syracuse.com or came through on social media, that's fantastic. But if you hit that subscribe button, the new episode of the Stick to Syracuse podcast, which, by the way, comes out every Monday right there waiting for you wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey, Just Joe, what do you say we crank this thing up? Behind SU Sports, snowstorm weather we post, stick to Syracuse today. Soft potatoes, high top dogs, dynasty barbecue all year long, stick to Syracuse today. It's raining, it's snowing, it don't know where it's going. Stick to Syracuse today. Ladies and gentlemen, your host of Stick to Syracuse, Brent X. But so not, nobody not, knows what surprising. your principles and your convictions are because you're just out there saying whatever well, an opportunity well, I mean, says. It's hard to be a mayor for everyone when all you talk about is being a Democrat. All right. No, a Democrat cares about all people, not the, not the trickle-down economic policies that you've been doing for the last eight years. You talk about a job plan. You could have created one in eight years. That was your job, and you didn't do it. And now we're supposed to believe you want to do it now. Ladies and gentlemen, the real Juanita. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, the real Ben, a Republican. I think we'll leave it there. Chris Baker, government reporter for Syracuse.com and the Post Standard. The press conference you did after the uh, Jim Bayheim accident, yes. uh, the first thing you said was a uh, uh, message to the victim's family mm-hmm. in Spanish, which mm-hmm. I think resonated with a lot of people. I mean, mm-hmm. It was just something we hadn't seen before. Good morning, I'm Chris Baker for Syracuse.com. I'm here today with Dana Balter, who's running for Congress in the 24th Congressional District in Central New York. Good morning, Dana. Hi, thanks for having me, Chris. Of course. Chris Baker has one of the most interesting and one of the most important jobs with us here at Syracuse.com as a government reporter. He talks to movers and shakers, whether they want to talk to him or not. And he's right in the heart of some of the most important stories we cover at Syracuse.com, including recent headlines of a police incident caught on tape. Here's my conversation with Chris Baker, Syracuse.com. Chris, you've got a very interesting role with us at Syracuse.com and the Post Standard. Just just take me through, no day, no two days are the same, but just take me through your process. Like, what's it like to sit down every morning and say, okay, what do I got today? Um, It's, it's fun. It's, uh, you wake up every morning and usually have something that just uh, kind of pops into your inbox or your text message or something that could completely throw off your entire day of what you had planned. Um, so it's kind of a mix of structure and whatever else comes at you. Um, you know, some government meetings, some things I have to be at, but then, you know, sometimes going out to vacant houses and poking around or knocking on people's doors or, you know, just trying to chase down something we just found about whatever morning came up, whatever came up that morning. You must talk to a lot of people that don't want to talk to you. 
mostly people who don't want to talk to <laughs> so how, do you, how do you handle that? Uh, they tend to be more fun than the people who do want to talk to you in this in this line, at least. Um, it, there's a there's kind of a sales quality to it that um, I think doesn't get talked a lot about a lot in journalism. But this kind of gray area of you know you've got to pitch people for why they should talk to you, um, sell them on you know why their voice should be in a story, especially when they don't want to be in a story. Um, sometimes it's easier if you've got a negative, a, a story that makes somebody look bad going to them and saying, Hey, give me your side of it. Otherwise we've got this side of it only. Um, but sometimes it's just a, it's a negotiation, um, to, to try to get somebody to, to weigh in on whatever you're talking about. I've run into this, not as much as you, cause I'm kind of in the sports podcast mm-hmm. world and mostly people do want to talk to me or it's not as serious as some of the issues that you deal with. But one thing that I found is just asking, what are you afraid of? Like, what if if you talk to me? What are you afraid will happen? And kind of, like you said, it is almost in a way a negotiation. And really, at, at the end of the day, it's like, look, this story is going to happen one way or the other. Your voice can be in it or not. And it's not, it almost sounds like you're threatening them in a way. Right? Exactly. It's well, like, you but, you are. But it's more of. of an offer. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, listen, if you want your voice in this, this is your opportunity mm-hmm. to do it. Right. And it always helps to have somebody else's voice to be able to go with them and say, you know, this person said this already. Here's what we know. Here's what we're reporting. If you don't respond, no one will. Um, and, and if you, you know, if you want to get your side, your response to this, and most people do, most people want to be heard or at least let people know what they think or what they have to say about something. Who's the most interesting person you cover? And interesting could, could mean a lot of things. Uh, um, the most interesting person I cover. Um, there's a couple uh, people who are running for office for the first time, at least this year, who are in just, just their stories, their backgrounds are interesting. Um, a few former refugees uh, who are, you know, fled violence, came to this country, and now they're they're running for office. And they just, they have fun stories, and they come from backgrounds that are so different than people who have kind of made their way up through the political landscape here, who are a little more polished and practiced at, at talking to reporters. Um, so they tend to be more fun to talk to. Um, but you, you meet interesting, weird people every day. Um, just, uh, tenants. Um, a lot of these uh, housing stories we're working on right now, you meet, um, just everyone's got a story somewhere. And, um, I don't think politicians are particularly interesting. Uh, they're fun. I like them. I think they do. A lot of them do good work, but, uh, it's hard to say, like, you know, it's hard to say Mayor Walsh is the most interesting guy I cover because he does interesting things, but he's very good at saying what needs to be said yes, a lot of the is. time. Yes, yeah. yeah. We, he was my first guest on this podcast. I remember that, and yeah. I really enjoyed talking to him, but, yeah, you like, he knows. He knows the game. He knows when the red light's on, yeah. so to say, and what to say and how to say it. So from that standpoint, you look at interesting people, but you also look at, let me ask another question. Who do you write about the most? Who's somebody you just keep circling back to because of what they do and how they do it? Probably Mayor Walsh. I was going to say, it's uh, probably Mayor yep, Walsh, right? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, he's you know he's the mayor. He's doing the most things. When he does something that if you or I did it, it's news when he does it, but not when somebody else does it because he's the mayor. He's the you know highest-ranking public official in Syracuse. A um, few counselors we write about fairly often, um, you know, Tim Rudd, Khalid Bay, um, Helen Hudson, you know, people who are same sort of thing. They're, they're higher ranking public officials. So when they do or say something, it, it carries a little more weight and we end up, you know, writing about them. And they've been super active this year. The council has. They've just uh, there's a lot on their plate, more so than 
at least for me, it feels like more so than there has been in the last few years. So we've had a lot to write about lately. I was talking with Joe Driscoll Mm -hmm. on this podcast. He was sitting in the chair you're in right now. And one of the things I brought up to him was, you know, it's interesting when you have all these public things, protests and people that that see what you're doing and how you're doing it. and, And it's sexy in a way. But there's a lot of meetings and there's a lot of monotony. There's a lot of things people don't want to hear about. I would imagine you kind of fall into that role. Like, what's it like to go to all these council meetings? And, you know, I would imagine it it can get into a certain rhythm that, you know, it almost lulls you into a sense of, like, I really got to recognize when something's happening here that's different. Because if if you're not used to covering these things, you're not used to being a part of them. I'll say, I think it'd be kind of boring, right? Yeah, that's a pretty good word for it. Um, the, the, The hard part is when I first started this job, I actually thought, those meetings were a lot more boring than I think they are now. I think they're more interesting now because I'm uh, involved in it, I'm kind of in the middle of a lot of this legislation and how it works. And the, the tricky part of that is I care a little bit more now, but it's you almost have to remember that most people don't right. um, about some of the minutia, about some of the you know the small ball politics, the uh, you know these uh, kind of um, just. Uh, bureaucratic votes and bureaucratic inside city hall things that matter a lot to the people in those chambers, but really don't matter so much to people who, you know, live in Syracuse's neighborhoods or central New York. So is that what you do when you're there? Do you consider yourself a filter? Like, okay, this may matter more to them than me, but wait, because it's not like they stand up there and be like, hey, this is a really big deal right now. It's almost like your job to say, wait a minute, hold on. For the people, for my readers, for my audience that's out there, that is a big deal, and they may not make it seem that way. Right, right. What do what do they care about um, that you know might not be as big a deal in that room, but really will have more of an impact? And there are some things that are a huge deal in the council that, again, most people just aren't that interested in. When it gets into like you know the minutia of developing a budget, that's a huge deal. That's um, you know three hundred something million dollars for the city. But really, how many people are interested in reading about, you know, the negotiations of how we are going to, uh, you know, uh, schedule our debt payments for the next 30 years? It's just, it's not that interesting. So I should note that we're recording this on Friday. So who knows what may have happened between then and Monday when this podcast comes out. But generally, this is a story that a lot of people are are paying attention to in some way. And that is, of course, the latest with uh, Syracuse police. Mm -hmm. There was two African-American gentlemen. They were pulled over. And we've seen the video. We've seen part of the video anyway. We've seen the edited part of the video, if it even is edited, whatever you you want to describe it as. We've seen a clip of a police officer. He pulls the driver out of the car. Another police officer runs to the other side of the car, and then the video stops. And a lot of people are weighing in on this. The Syracuse police are certainly saying we're investigating this, we're looking into it, and you have had council members, you've written about it, Chris, that are are saying no matter what at this point that things have to change and have to be reviewed. So this is a hot-button issue that's made its way to central New York. This Mm -hmm. is something that's happened nationally. So kind of where are we at with this? Because this is important for, uh, this is Chief Buckner, like, is this like his first real big issue to deal with publicly? There was the story about him, of course, Sure. when people were talking about his job and, and he was being questioned by some of the, the rank and file. But, you know, this goes into the public. This goes to who he protects and, and serves. Right. So this, uh, you almost have to go back a few months to um, the chief's uh, kind of uh, disagreements with the, the union and some of the officers and some of the pressure the union was putting on him early on in his time was, will he have cops' backs when there is an incident? 
and here we are a few months later and we have an incident. And now he's already been through one uh, officer involved shooting that was a little more uh, cut and dry than this, I think. And he uh, came out very quickly after and said that the officers were justified. Um, but this is a, a much higher profile, a much higher pressure situation. And I think a lot of people are looking to see, you know, how will he respond? Um, how will the mayor respond? You know, this is um, kind of a first test. And when I say people, I mean people in the community, but also people in that department are uh, the officers in that department, I think, looking to see how will this all shake out? Um, and, and there's a lot of just a lot of eyes on, on both of them right now. Um, so where we are right now, there's there's an internal review. The Internal Affairs Department uh, is looking into the incident. The two officers involved are, are still on the job. Uh, and both the mayor and the chief have said we are going to essentially reserve judgment until we have the results of that internal investigation. Now, you've got a lot of people on the outside, including uh, a couple common counselors saying we don't have faith in that internal review process. Um, there have been there was a trial last year where that specific process, the internal affairs process, came under fire. Uh, lawyers pointed to it as having a lot of um, just gaps that it, that it wasn't done thoroughly enough. Now, there's there's new management running the internal affairs department, but this will kind of be a litmus test, I think, for, again, the, the internal affairs process, but mostly uh, how the how the chief and the mayor respond to this kind of outpouring of, of public pressure. It's hard to paint with a broad brush here, but by and large, was there some tension between the police and the community before this? Will it escalate it? Or is this just kind of, you know, something that has added to a list of, of things already happening? Sure. I mean, this events like this certainly don't exist in a vacuum. Uh, we wrote uh, several years ago about tensions in this neighborhood around Skitty Park uh, after the Father's Day shooting. And that was, uh, you know, this this neighborhood was a was a tinderbox. I mean, it was it was ready to explode. Um, the mayor's actually pointed to former Chief Frank Fowler. This was about a year ago, but he said the only reason the neighbor there weren't riots after that were because of some of the work Frank Fowler did in those neighborhoods, and he gave him a lot of credit for that uh, wow. whole scenario. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, in any urban community, there has long been tension between the community and the police, especially in you know black and brown communities, and that certainly exists here. And people are bringing those past experiences, those past prejudices, all these things into this specific event. This you know, a lot of the outrage isn't solely fueled by this one interaction, but it is a uh, kind of a tangible example of what a lot of people perceive as, um, you know, a disconnect between the police and the community. And and that's one of the things the, the new chief has said he wants to strengthen is, is those community relations so that when something like this happens, there's, uh, there's channels of communication, there's a dialogue, there's some good way to to resolve it and have a trust on both sides that, you know, the community is going to do its best and the police are going to do their best. Um, but yeah, this, I mean, this certainly highlights a lot of those tensions that have existed for years. I guess you could say this generally about a lot of stories, how fast the world moves today, but specific to this story, how have you found it a challenge to report this out, talk to people, get it as, as factually correct as you can when you got a whole social media world out there that doesn't do that, that just... They're going to say what they're going to say, and they're going to do what they're going to do, and they're spreading the video, and opinions kind of grow. So you're you're fighting that stream while trying to to center it here. That that's got to be a challenge. Sure, and you know our whole job. I I haven't been 
Um, you know, there's a there's a team of people here reporting all sorts of different angles of this, but the whole idea is um, report what's new. What new information do we have? What new facts do we have? Um, versus just you know hammering the same thing over and over. Um, it's uh, it's tough in something like this because, like a lot of people have pointed out, we've got a 32 second video that starts clearly halfway or maybe three quarters of a way or how, however long into this interaction and we don't know what started it um that doesn't necessarily justify things that doesn't necessarily make them wrong but it's just there's missing information um so the job is to work and try to find what we can fill in from that piece that you haven't seen already on your facebook feed what else can we tell you um you've seen stories from uh doug dowdy recently about legally do you have to get out of the car uh if a cop tells you to um so he talked to some legal experts who said yeah, you do, no matter what. Even if, you know, even if you didn't, didn't do anything, if you're under arrest, you've got to get out of the car. Um, so just, you know, trying to trying to inform people as much as we can because there's so much interest in this on social media. What, what can we add to it that is substantive that you might not find in the comments on your Facebook feed? So we're having this conversation about this. Uh, if I had asked you about this five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, whatever it was, when you were covering music... What, 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 what would you have told me? That you would be in this world and not that one. Yeah, I would have told you to go talk to somebody else um, <laughs> because I have Taste of Syracuse to worry about or uh, some concert. Yeah, that was. Um, I've only been doing this uh, four years now um, on this side of the, the newsroom, but it's, um, it's wildly more complex. Um, the challenges are very different, but uh, it's fun. It's fun in its, in its own way. But listen, Baker, I've seen... You brought up Taste of Syracuse. I remember you wrote a review about what was it, uh, Brett? Brett Michaels. Brett Michaels. Brett Michaels. Oh, I'm glad. You're bringing, yeah, I'm glad you're bringing this back. Whoa. Up. Yeah. So listen, the passion comes from all angles here. You don't get away from it in the music world. It's not all fun and games. No, um, no. People got just as worked up about a bad concert review in in a different way, in a less uh, maybe a less consequential yes. way. But man, people get really mad if you don't like the band they like um so i'm i don't miss that part of it don't mess with brett don't michaels, mess with brett michaels don't mess with the bandana <laughs> it's yep. not the hill you want to die on right there right <laughs> so chris you uh you are engaged to somebody here who's in the business as well and i always find that interesting because like my wife's a teacher mm-hmm. so when i come home and talk about my day it's foreign to her what she does is foreign to me so i'm kind of learning about what she does as she goes as she does with me you're in this not the same line of work, but the same umbrella of, of journalism, right? So, how how do you handle that? Like, is it something that helps that you're both in the same line of work and you can kind of, you know, I'm trying to think of the right way to put there's a download with each other and talk about the business, or do you not talk about it at home? Like, how does that work? Now we do. We try not to make it, um, you know, the only thing we talk about at home, but it's uh, we we work with a lot of the same people, know a lot of the same people, and it's nice to have that. Uh, kind of shared background, shared source of, uh, of information. Um, it's, uh, honestly, it's, it's great because we both, uh, our jobs are pretty different. She's in video and photo. Um, and I'm in, uh, politics and government. 
so we can kind of bounce things off each other to figure out how things work on on different sides of our of our business. What she looks for when she's going in for a story versus what I look for. Um, and it's helpful. We've had a few projects we've worked on together. Uh, we did a video about uh, police overtime last year together, and it was she she had a really good way uh, a sense for visualizing it that I didn't have because I just wanted to throw words on paper. Um, and she, you know, we sat down together and figured out a way to to make that work on both ends. So it, it's great. I mean, that's, that's how we first met was, uh, in grad school, actually. Um, we were in the same program at SU. Um, so it's, uh, it, it's good. It's fun. And, you know, it gives us always something to talk about. I would imagine too, that this is not always a straight nine to five job, weird hours, covering things on weekends, all sorts of things. So that's an obstacle you don't have to overcome. You both mm-hmm. kind of know the deal yep. with that. That's really got to help, I would imagine. Yeah, it's uh, we have a birthday party this weekend on Sunday, and she's got to work. And it's you know, it's it's there's a very much an understanding because I work a lot of nights and weekends. She works a lot of nights and weekends, and we can both kind of uh, you know play off of that. There's a lot of flexibility in the time, so it makes it a lot easier. And and, and you know, you get it. It's like you know, I, you understand when somebody's in the middle of a story they really care about. Like you understand the kind of. Um, passion if she wants to stay up till 2 a.m. editing a video you know I understand I understand that mindset because I've been there too. Chris so you brought up that you met at grad school mm-hmm. you teach at SU yes now. Mm-hmm. I teach at SU now it's amazing it, teaching brings something out of you like you didn't know was was in there and I've learned a lot about this generation I gotta say I'm very encouraged by the upcoming mm-hmm. generation people like to mock millennials and the younger generation I feel the opposite like I am encouraged by what I see what do you see when, when you teach at Syracuse? What what kind of uh, emotions does that bring out of you? And, and what do you see in the next generation upcoming? I like seeing how engaged they are with media, um, you know, how closely they follow so much. And granted, these are a lot of them are, are media students in some way or another. Um, but they're so up to date on everything. And it makes me stay more current on, you know, trends in media, trends in uh, digital journalism, especially. Uh, but it was, uh, something that I had to, you you know, you almost have to start learning again, um, or keep learning, I guess, in order to teach because otherwise you'll fall behind some of these, these students. They're good. Um, I get a lot of, uh, I teach a master's class. So I get a lot of students who are older than me, who are uh, maybe looking for a second career or career change or advancement. Um, and it's, it's fun because you get to learn from, from them too. I've had, uh, couple former TV news directors who are, you know, 25-year people on on TV and to learn from them about how their industry worked um, and what they're looking to get out of a program at SU to, you know, get better at it or, or to go into, a lot of them want to go into marketing or teaching or something else where there's probably a little more money. But um, yeah, man, it's fun. It's a fun job. Hey, what do you say? Have a happy day because we're living in Syracuse. Professional Victims are a husband and wife alternative rock duo based in Syracuse. Holding multiple Sammy Awards, Sean Sullivan and Ashley Cox have put out a few recordings of their music comprised of sonic guitars, swirling synths, and hooky hooks. For a better idea of who they are, you should catch them live for an audio-visual experience as they've curated videos to sync up with their performances. Super trippy. Here they are, Sean and Ashley. Kathleen Mason from K-Mace Productions on the Sounds. Coming down 
in Kubal Studios. So thanks to Kubal Studios for helping us out again. This is the sound scene. And this Monday we have professional victims. Hey. So it's husband Hello. and wife team. Um, we have Ashley Cox and Sean Sullivan. Love it. Um, I, of course, want to know how you met. Music, music scene. And uh, I was performing as a solo artist at the time. Sean was probably in a couple of bands, and it's a small music scene. It, it, it was then, 20-some mm, years ago, mm-hmm. and, and I think it is now, ever-changing and evolving, but... Nice. Okay, so we're going to move on to the name, because this is another thing I always wanted to ask mm-hmm. you, and just never could, because whenever we were doing shows, it's always like, hi, bye, hi, bye, and very quick, and snapping pictures and all yeah. that. So, professional victims... Where did that come from? We both have different answers. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Your time. I know. But uh, I'll give the credit to Sean for this one. He has named both bands that I've been in with him. So, Sean, why don't you tell them? You usually answer Just this Just lie one and make it sound cool. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, it was from the movie Colors, actually, where I got the name from. Nice. Where um, he's talking about one of the gang's... And he says, oh, those guys, those guys are professional victims. They take a beating on a daily basis. What's that name? Sounds appropriate for any <laughs> local band. At the time, that's how I know. felt. Both of us. Both of you. I love it. Do you write in tandem? Sometimes. Sometimes. And the, and really, I think that's when the real magic happens mm-hmm. because, I mean, it's hard enough to write a song on your own. You know, when you put other elements and emotions and opinions into mm-hmm. something, it can get a bit more complicated and more difficult. So it's when I think we both have a little say in something that we write some really great material. I feel we write best when she's especially if she's working on one of her songs or I play the drums. I usually play the drums when she's working on her stuff. And a lot of times she'll, she likes moodier, slower type music. Mm-hmm. And I like to change the drum beat around to make it sound not slow. And <laughs> it's still moody and good, but it's good. It gives oh, it a different Sean's dynamic. Do <laughs> <laughs> you remember at that last at the uh, showcase, yes. you know, my mom from day one when I first started, you know, can't you just, you know, pick it up a little bit and make it a little, you know, oh, mom, okay, mom, sorry. Here is a strange
we've been very busy, both of us just doing other things and other Mm -hmm. projects, but we will go into the studio soon. And with such little time that we have, we plan to just focus on just the writing. I didn't want any gigs in the future to kind of get in the way of that. So So where are you recording? Moltrex. Nice. Local studio here. Where is it? West Side. Yeah. Jeff Molesky recorded our last record and he he's great he's great to work with he's a good friend does he do any producing or any suggestions or do you just you're you're in i know it's the studio is so different for everybody and how is that process is it just yeah he does but not to the extent of i guess arranging the songs or anything but kind of the parts in the song and stuff like that you know he, we get along maybe. well because as long as he just wants it to rock so He's, he records uh, primarily on tape, so analog. Nice. And, well, um, cool. and so that experience is a lot different for musicians that just go into a studio and they just, you know, like working mm-hmm. on a computer, you just cut and paste and take this off. Uh, it definitely feels more organic. And, and he, he can help change the sound or the vibe of it just by live editing he's live editing and, wow. and um he's he's great at what he does not ever i don't know anybody else in the area that does that actually your yeah, first album i did the whole thing myself i recorded it and mix it and everything he said oh give me a couple songs and, and he so he mixed i think he mixed one or two songs and i gave it back i was like all right we're gonna work with you <laughs> <laughs> so, let's do it all. <laughs> so where can people find you well other than on iTunes and you know the Apple Music and Google is really great. I like to Google myself and see see where we, all the different <laughs> places you can find our music. So, uh, but professionalvictims.com. Do people still go to websites? I mean, like uh, Facebook. We're wondering about that. Do, they, like, do we even know, need to keep they do. this around? I, I, I have to sometimes because I have to take some things off to promo people. Yeah. So I okay. still do a lot of website looking. Okay. Professionalvictims.com then. Very Excellent. professional victims. But you're streaming on. Yeah, um, we're pretty much on all the like streaming services. I think that. Yep. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Yay. Professional. YouTube. I, I was looking. I didn't realize YouTube has like every album pretty much on there now. Like our whole album, all, all our albums are on there. I'm like. That's what I mean. I like to Google us and just see where we appear because it's it changes. And I'm like, you oh, I didn't right know we were out there. Yeah. When you when yeah. you Google professional victims, yes, mm. it's like all you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> now awesome. it is. Years ago, it was some you know sad stories well, of actual professional. Yes, victims. I'm sure. There's <laughs> still some of those. Don't yeah. Google children. <laughs> and now, sounds from our next episode. Amanda Rogers, forever inspired by the mysteries of the universe and forever propelled by the laws of quantum mechanics is on an endless path of creativity. You can always expect to find her up to something new and unusual. Plus, what is the November project? Why am I talking about it in June? That's next time on the Stick to Syracuse podcast. We thank you for listening to episode 18. Just a reminder, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and SoundCloud. My name is Brent Dax. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time... Man, I could really go for a milkshake at Marble Farms.